listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hi, family. Glad to be with you this one last time. Um, And I'm glad to be talking about the topic that I'm talking about. Um, For the control room, the timer's not on. Uh, You're going to want that rolling. Uh, um, There we go. Now we're counting down. So we've been 17 weeks in this series called Shaping Faith. And we started with our core four. Our core four was text, prayer, worship, and fasting. These are our internal practices, things that we use to develop the internal man. And and we had a shape of a square that was um, kind of our shape to symbolize those core four. It was was hip to be square. Um, You know, is anybody... Uh, anybody? All right. That joke is getting less and less people like, what does that mean, hip to be square? Uh, all right. Um, no Huey Lewis fans in the room, apparently. So anyways, uh, so we use the square. And then we had the circle around that, which was our eight principles of healthy community. We talked about conflict and forgiveness and empathy and emotional vocabulary and priorities and all these different things that we, we wanted to play into, like these pieces of healthy community. And then we moved out to the triangle out around that and we talked about uh, service. This, these are our eternal focuses, things that help us put together or put to death the flesh. Service, celebration of others, which Rod did last week, right? Yeah. Coach Rod. You know, when he gets in a stance, something awesome is about to happen. I told him, I said, here's the deal, Rod. I'm on your game. Um, you're not trying to get intense. You need a break. That's what, that's what this is. You're wore out. Wore out. Good guy. 65 years old, guy can walk me into the dirt, so I don't feel a bit bad for him. He did Celebration of Others last week and just killed it. It was great. And then um, today, we're talking about generosity. And I just have to be honest with you. I am... Super thankful that this is the topic that I get to land the plane on with my time here. Um, because for us as a church, generosity has always been something that we wanted to be a benchmark reality of who we are. Um, we wanted to be a place that would go where other people weren't going to reach other people that other people weren't reaching. And, and we wanted to do things in those spaces that would tell people like, even if you don't go to church, that people would be able to say of us that if I did go to church, that's the kind of church I'd want to go to. That, that was kind of where we were at. And so we tried to do things that were um, creative and, and different. And um, we, so there was, when we came here, there was an Easter egg hunt already. Another church was doing Easter eggs. We didn't do an Easter egg hunt. There's nothing wrong with them. We just was somebody else was doing it. We didn't want to compete. Um, and then there was other people that were doing uh, harvest parties because we can't say Halloween. I said it. I said it right from the stage. Halloween. Uh, So they were doing harvest parties. And we didn't want to duplicate that. And so uh, what we did was 4th of July, which was fun, um, until they let me fire off fireworks, and that got dangerous in a hurry. So we we had some of those mortars, you know, um, that you have the tube and you shoot them up in the air and they're kind of like a mini firework, right? 
uh, I learned a couple of lessons, really important lessons um, about those. Number one, do not hold them in your hand. <laughs> Apparently that was important. The other lesson that I learned was, so there's two kinds of tubes. There's bigger tubes and then there's smaller tubes. Don't put the smaller mortars in the bigger tube. Here's why, because here's what happens. They fly up about this high and spin, because that's all the compression they get when they come out of the tube, right? So, and then they explode, <laughs> right up, just right here. And so we were, ah, um, happy fourth. I still have my hair. Um, we did that, that kind of thing. Uh, I want to share a passage. This passage is review for those of us that have been together. Like there's nothing new about generosity. If there was still things about generosity left unsaid in this church in 12 years, we would have done you a disservice. And so this is review for you. And it's, it's a parable um, that we've used. It's been kind of a benchmark passage in my my own life. And so it's Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to take a look at it. It says he, took, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can make nests in its branches. So this is our parable that we're going to look at today. And I want to talk a little bit about parable. First of all, parable isn't a new thing with Jesus. It isn't a new thing with Jesus. Uh, all the pharisaical rabbis told parables. There are over 4,000 recorded parables that we have in history. Lots of them. There are lots of them. Parables follow a few simple patterns, but one thing that is always true across the form is that they have what contained within the parable what's called a remez. It wasn't called a remez in the first century, but the hint is still there. Remez means hint, and the Byzantine Christians gave it that name. But um, the, the idea of it is that within the parable, there's a hint that anchors that story to a Hebrew Bible passage, an Old Testament passage, and it's within that passage that we find the meaning of the parable. Okay? Now, what that does for us is that it forces us to debate the text. So the rabbi tells a parable, and I'll say, well, I think it was this. This was the remez because of this passage and this idea and this part of the Bible. And you go, no, 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 no. It was this passage and this idea. And we start debating the text. So we're talking about God's word. And the rabbi tells a story. We start debating God's word. And the rabbi goes, mic drop, I'm out. Go and learn the meaning of this. This is kind of the way a, a parable is not designed to confound you. It's designed to question where's he getting his stuff? And then we got to go into the, into the text, into the actual God's word and actually figure it out. Okay? So in order to understand this, um, we got to figure out what's going on with this parable. I want to um, show you some pictures because a rabbi's not going to tell a parable without something to point at. Okay? So let me show you some pictures. Here's the first picture. These are mustard seeds. They're little, right? So that's what he says. He says they're the smallest of all this. Now, for those of us that are scientists, analytical, you're like, they're not the smallest. <laughs> Jesus doesn't even know what he's talking about. 
Okay, question. Is the point still valid? <laughs> still valid. Tiny seeds. Tiny, tiny little seeds. Little fellers. Here's what they grow into. This is a field of mustard. Now, fundamental problem with Jesus' parable. What is it? There's no trees. It doesn't grow into a tree. Okay? And so if that's a field of mustard and he says it grows into a tree and it grows about this high, you know, it gets into a bush. Come with me to Israel sometime. I'll take you and show you some. Um, It's all over. It's everywhere. They hate it. Um, by the way, they hate it. So why in the world would you sow it in your field in the first place? That's another sermon for another day. But because um, there won't be any more sermons for other days here. Because uh, it's a weed. It's a noxious weed. It's like Canadian thistle. Like it moves in and takes over. Um, it, it's horrible. So this is what... Now, if you want to figure out where is the remez in the parable. If you want to figure that out, one of the first things that we want to look for is what's the part that doesn't fit? What's the part that doesn't make sense? Now, paper in the first century, incredibly valuable. Like you don't waste real estate. You don't waste space when you're writing things down, especially because it's it's very, like they don't even type it on a computer. Did you know there was a time in history when they didn't have computers? They had to actually handwrite Crazy. And then the other piece of that is if it's Holy Spirit inspired, which I believe it is, like not a breath, not a letter is wasted, right? Nothing is wasted. So if it's there and it doesn't fit, we need to pay attention to that. Why is it there? Why is it there? Well, what's the part in the parable of the mustard seed that doesn't fit? He sows his seed and it grows into a tree and the birds come and rest in the shade of its branches. Well, that doesn't fit at all. So then I would ask this question, if that part doesn't fit, is there ever anywhere else in the Bible where God talks about birds coming and resting in the shade of branches? The answer is yes, or I wouldn't have asked you the question. I'm not gonna waste real estate in a sermon either. So here's the story. Like in Ezekiel, God comes to Ezekiel and he says, listen, we've got to to write the path that Israel is walking. They're not walking the right path. They're telling the wrong story about who their God is. And so God intervenes to correct their path, to get them back on the right path. And then he starts to, he begins to start saying, okay, and so now we're going to restore them. So after they've gone through the corrective action, they're going to be restored. And... um, He talks about gathering them as a group of people, and then he talks about rebuilding the temple and the river flowing out from the the temple and and all these things, all these pieces that are going on in the Valley of Dry Bones and making the dead bones live and um, all that stuff. It's all connected to this restoration of Israel. But what he's been talking about alongside that is as Israel walks the right path, what happens is all the nations of the world pay attention to what's happening in Israel and they're drawn to it. The metaphor that he uses is birds symbolizing the other nations coming to rest in the shade of his branches. Here's Ezekiel 17. 
Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out and I'll break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it and it may, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. I, I'm sorry, that totally makes me think of Shrek. I'm a noble steed. <laughs> she called me a noble steed. Hey, it's my last one. You get all the good stuff. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I'm the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Why does Jesus tell this parable about the mustard seed and the birds coming and resting in the shade of its branches? Here's why. Because what he's trying to say is when the kingdom of God acts like the kingdom of God, people who aren't part of the kingdom of God receive benefit from it. When we choose to be generous people, we choose to be generous to people who aren't part of us. And there are way too many churches that spend all their energy being generous to things that they get an ROI on. We, that, that means return on investment. We're not called to be generous because we can get people to come to our church. And we're not called to be generous because it benefits us in some way. We're called to be generous because we put on display for the world a God who is generous. So when he says be generous, we're generous because he's generous. Not because we get something in return for it. Does that make sense? As a church, this has been something that has fundamentally shaped our history. I remember... Uh, I'll tell you a couple stories. We did a, a corn maze several years ago. How many of you went to that corn maze? <laughs> I'm going to tell the story again. I'm going to be nicer this. So we did this corn maze. And we made a decision early on in the corn maze that we weren't going to put our logo on anything. Because we didn't want to promote the church. All we wanted to do is say, hey, Palouse, we love you. And so uh, Steve and Kevin Mater gave us four acres to grow corn. And so we threw corn out there and <laughs> it, some of it grew. Some of it was pretty, but I don't know if you know this, corn doesn't grow on the Palouse. Like, you know, you know why they don't grow corn on the Palouse? Because it doesn't grow on the Palouse. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. So some of it was pretty good, but some of it like out in the middle section was like this high. So people are like, <laughs> like seriously, that's, how they, were, how they were doing it. Uh, whoops, I'm at a dead end. Bloop. You know, it's kind of how it went. And so uh, we didn't know, what, what, we didn't have a clue about how to cut a trail. And we rented a bobcat. We're like, I hope this works. So we had like three people sitting on top of a bobcat and one person driving and like veer left. You know, uh, it was hilarious. So we cut this trail and, and uh, like we didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen? We were just going to run it through the month of October and, and people came. A lot of drunk college students came. <laughs> and that was funny. because So we had scarers, 
from our church in the maze, and this one girl dressed up like the girl from the ring, and she would come out of the corn. All, you know, it was, it was kind of creepy. And then um, this, one, this one lady was hiding at a dead end in the corn, and it was dark out, right? Well, this drunk college guy comes to the dead end, and he's like, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so he does on her feet. We called her Tinkle Toes for years after that. <laughs> I, I was standing at the end. I was at the end with a chainsaw. And I was standing in the trail like this with the chainsaw and the blade in the dirt. It was my dad's chainsaw. I didn't care. Blade in the dirt. And I would let people walk. I was right in the middle of the trail. And I'd let people walk by me. And then I would turn around and follow them. And at, at a key point, I would hit the chase them, right? Which was awesome because the way that it went, so the trail went this way and there was one trail here and then one trail here. If you took the long one, you would go out to outside of the maze. If you took the short one, it did a big loop and came right back to the same spot, <laughs> which was awesome because I, when they took the short loop, I would just stand and they were like, oh, we're getting away from him. Wah! You know, they would, surprise. So there's this one girl who happens, I didn't know this, but happens to be sitting in the room today, um, that I decided I was going to really scare her. And so she walks by, I hit the chainsaw, Ma! she took, she went long, she took the right one, she goes out, and I'm like, this is not over yet, I'm not done. <laughs> I chase her out of the maze across the yard, all the way to her car in the parking lot where she folded up in a pile like this. <laughs> Here's a funny thing. I didn't know it was her until Thursday night. She's like, that was me and I was in the throes of a panic attack. <laughs> it's a corn maze. You know what's interesting about the corn maze was like... <laughs> <laughs> we, so we didn't put our church's logo on. What happened was, because we just wanted to give something to the community, we were like, we just want you to know. We every time I was there, and I wasn't there every night, but I was there a lot of the nights, people would ask us, like, who are you guys? Why are you doing this? It became such a testament about God's generosity to the community simply because we didn't demand that people recognize the church before they saw God at work. Like that was, it was just, a, and I don't know that we were like, look at us being so strategically smart. It was just one of those things where we kind of sensed that's how we should do it. And because of that, God honored it. And then um, one of the things that I've always believed is that if you want to say that you love me well, you love my kids well, right? And I, and I would offer that challenge to you because um, I have a couple of kids staying here. Uh, we... We adopted Russell Elementary School because we wanted to tell the community, we love you. And so we were like, how do we do that well? Well, we love the kids well. So we adopted Russell Elementary School and we bought school supplies. Now this was early in our church and we spent like 5,500 bucks on it or something like that. Um, that was a lot of money for a church plant. It was a lot of money for a church plant. And people were like, why are you doing this? That's crazy. And I was like, I don't know. We just kind of feel like 
God wants us to be generous and this is a way for us to do that. And um, what was interesting was the uh, newspaper was really leery about doing an article on that. This is the funny thing. Like we live on the Palouse, right? There's not a ton of newsworthy stuff going on. Or like your, the crops grew an inch last week. Like that's what... That they were leery about doing an article. We were like, hey, okay, that's not why we're doing this. We're not doing this to get garner attention. We're simply doing this because we believe that God wants us to be generous in this way. So we did it and we partnered with Staples to do it. And um, it was really cool. Like the ripple effect of the word of mouth because nobody, like it was kind of this enigma that happened and never, nobody knew where it came from. Or it, it became incredible. And I had a lady tell me that uh, she lived in the... Um, uh, low-income housing, and she came to me and she said, hey, um, I just want you to know I have three kids and I was having to make a decision between paying rent and buying school supplies. And she said, because you did that, I didn't have to make that decision. Now, I don't think she ever came to our church. I don't think that lady ever came to our church, but that's not why we did it. We did it because we wanted people to know that there is a God in the universe that looks at you and sees you. So one of the dreams that we've had since before we were even a church was uh, what I used to call Lifestyle Rehabilitation Center. One of the things that happens is... um, People come into the church for benevolence help. They need help with their electric bill, food, gas, whatever. And that's part of what we do as a service to the community. But the problem with that kind of thing is if we're not really careful, we can make people dependent on the system rather than helping them get back on their feet so that they don't have to be a part of the system anymore. And so what I had always dreamed about was to do things like to bring someone in, assess midterm, short-term, long-term needs, put them in a process that would actually help them grow out of their need for that. And one of the major pieces of that for me is single moms, because single moms have, they're like working their tails off, trying to be mom, trying to be emotional support, trying to work and make enough money to actually have food. And then they have these massive expenses called rent and daycare. They're huge. Um, And when you're working in a job that allows you to have some flexibility, you're not going to be making a ton of money. And so they're they're caught in this tension of I could, maybe I could make more money if I was less flexible, but I have kids and I don't have anybody to help. And so there's, there's this tension of all this mess in that. And so one of the dreams that we've always had was to find a way to um, help with uh, that, meet that need. And so with that in mind, I want to make a really, really special announcement this morning, and I'm so excited to be the one to let this be, uh, come off the stage while I'm preaching. But I want you to watch this video, and we'll show you what's going to happen next. Since the beginning, Real Life has always dreamed big dreams. One of those dreams was the space that you're sitting in right now. We're standing at the crossroads of another defining moment in the life of our church. And I'm so excited that God has invited us to be a part of His next steps in this community. That dream became a reality thanks to the generosity of people just like you. Your time, prayers, and financial support have paved the way for this facility and the people to staff it. Our church has always been defined by its generosity, even from day one. Church is about loving God and loving people. It's about being the church. 
not just going to church. I'm Sophia, and I'm a fourth grade student at Roswell Elementary, and I would like to thank you for all the school supplies that you donated this year. We give because we have this incredible God who wants to do incredible things in this community, and we are going to be part of it. It's just fantastic to see that there is an organization like Real Life Ministries that really does make a difference. We are known for being generous. We are known for a church that maybe views God as a God of abundance. If we as a church jump in with both feet, we can be sure that God will be faithful to provide. Creation is in fact bent towards generosity. He doesn't want my money, he wants my heart. And he realizes that's a very strong string between my heart and my wallet. Our attitude about giving to the Lord should be joyful and generous. What I get really excited about now is that I see it as an opportunity to um, use what God has given us, what God's blessed us with, to bless other people. This is where you move the attitude of giving from what I have left over to you get the front side of it, God. We've really been beneficiaries of the generosity of the church and its mission of restoring and reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. In this case, two people at a time. Not being generous so that you see me, I'm being generous so that you know what my God's like. Years ago, when this building was still in the planning phase, one of our dreams for this space was to provide affordable daycare for single parents and struggling families. We'll be able to do things like daycare for single moms that are struggling to make ends meet. It, the, the opportunities are limitless. You see, during the church service, our children's wing is loud and lively and full of smiles. But during the week, it's empty, quiet, and lifeless. Why wouldn't we want to make use of this space as much as possible? That's why today we're excited to announce that our daycare dream will be coming to fruition. Starting this fall, our hallways will be full of life every day as we partner with Happy Horizons Childcare, providing a space for affordable, high-quality daycare for the families who need it most. And this opportunity comes in no small part due to the generosity of the entire Real Life family. Thanks to you, we are excited to take this next step in reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. That is awesome. And I love that for a lot of reasons, um, not the least of which is I love that the mission that we gave our lives to 12 years ago will continue to go forward. Like real life will still be a place where people can come and reach the world for Jesus one person at a time, where we can come and make biblical disciples through relational environments, that we will continue to be the kind of church that will impact our community in a meaningful way. And that, to me, is the best gift that any pastor could be given as they move on to their next adventure. Um, and with that in mind, I want to I move towards the Lord's table. If you're new with us, we have an open table, um, which means that anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake, but we want you to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. Um, while they're doing that, while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few questions. Now, here's what I know. For some of you, your home groups are starting to dial back a little bit for the summer, and that's okay. Um, you're, 
summer vacations and camping and da 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 all that stuff. I get it, and sometimes harder to meet, and so we meet less often. I would invite you to consider these questions for wherever you're having your spiritual conversations in the meantime as well, whether that's around the dinner table or you got people out on your back deck or your back patio barbecuing, whatever. Wherever you're having those spiritual conversations, I would love for you to consider these questions, especially in this coming week and in the next weeks to follow, okay? Question number one. As we look down the road, what legacy do you want to be a part of leaving behind? Let me um, take my pastor hat off and just put my Aaron Couch, the guy who has given 12 years of his life to this church, put that hat on. And ask you this, like what, what legacy do you want to be a part of here? Because in the midst of all of this transition, whether or not we go or stay, whether or not we get invested or we just kind of hang out, um, all those things will leave a legacy in this church. Like long after those of us that are leaving, leading the church today, long after us, we're all dead and gone. Like, it will leave a legacy of what was this church really about? Was this church really about partnering with God to restore what sin broke? Was it really about bringing heaven crashing into earth? All these phrases that we've used over the years. Or was it about one or two or three people's personalities? And oh, I liked it. I liked, I liked how they did it. And then they left and then I didn't like it. Is that the legacy that we want to leave? Or do we want to be a part of a legacy that has meaning? I just invite you to consider that. Um, like, what is the legacy that we want to leave behind here? Question number two. That would be the next slide. And I'll read it off of here. When you think about making a difference in our community, what comes to mind? What are the crazy ideas that you want to be a part of? Like, what are the crazy ideas that you want to be a part of? What are the, where's the corn mazes? Where's the school supplies? What's the next crazy idea that you guys want to be a part of? I can't wait to hear about all the neat things. Because here's the thing. I know the guy who's taking the helm here, and he's about 63% crazy. 63.2, I think, officially. But your ideas of how we can make a difference might just be the thing that kicks over and continues establishing God's reputation as positive in our community. Last question. The hope of the world is Jesus, not the church. Can I get an amen on that? The hope of the world is Jesus, not the church. And that doesn't mean you don't need to be a part of a church. That means the hope of the world is Jesus, not the church. How can the church work at making sure we keep his name at the forefront of our minds? How, what can we do to make sure that at the end of all of this, that we don't go, man, real life. I, uh, I'll tell you two things from our very first message that we ever did in July of 2007. We did a preview service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
they were so gracious to let us use their building. Two things. Number one, um, if there's anything good that will ever come out of this, only God could do it. Only God could do it. There's not enough brains in this room to make something great and lasting and eternal happen without the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit at work. If there's anything good that will ever come out of this, only God could do it. That's the first thing. Second thing is, as we move forward, how is God inviting you to partner with him to make a difference in the world as an extension of who we are as a church? What I love about taking communion every week is that it's this constant reminder that the beginning of us fulfilling our purpose, our God-given destiny, lies in laying our lives down, not in pushing our own agenda. It lies in us laying our lives down for the well-being of other people. This reminds us that Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you, so whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we draw the shade on one season of our church and open up a whole new opportunity, God, I pray for the same things I prayed for 12 years ago. I pray for protection and for wisdom and for favor, and for blessing, for the people that are here carrying forward this incredible mission of reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Lord, I pray for courage and for um, insight as people have conversations with other people. And most of all, I pray that you would make your name great in the midst of us. In your name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.